0: Hi, film fans, music fans, Edith Bowman here. Um, thank you for listening to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. I know I say thank you every week, um, but it's nice to be appreciative. So, thanks for joining me for this week's episode. Loads of stuff going on. Busy old time at the minute as we kind of enter kind of crunch award season, which, to be honest, is very good timing for us because we have a fantastic. Collection of guests. Not that we don't always, but we're starting a bit of a bumper run of soundtracking episodes in the coming weeks with two shows a week for the next few weeks, including conversations with, in no particular order, Paul Thomas Anderson. What? Johnny Greenwood. Honestly, I might cry by the end of this list. um Who else have we got? Andrew Garfield. Mm hmm. Dave Grohl. I think I'm going to stop there actually. Otherwise, I'm going to self combust. Today, equally excited because it's the turn of, I mean, he's a bit of an all-rounder, writer, director, producer, Adam McKay. He is fantastic company. Uh, we have an absolute ball discussing the music in his latest film, Don't Look Up, which has been nominated for shed loads of awards and already won a fair few. Don't Look Up is scored by a friend of the show. We love him, Nicholas Britell, And we're going to begin with one of his cues from the movie Discovery.
1: Hi, Edith. How are you?
0: I am great, sir. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: You look well. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I just wanted to say before we jump in is that I rewatched the film last night with my 13-year-old son because they'd been talking about it at school. It was such a treat to watch with him.
1: Oh, wow. That would be really interesting with a 13-year-old. You know, my youngest daughter is 16. And all her friends went crazy for it. Which I'm 53. So I'm not used to having 16 year olds <laughs> love what I do back in the day <laughs> with the Will Ferrell comedies, maybe. But um, but it's funny, it really resonates with them.
0: It's great. It's starting a conversation and it's encouraging conversation in amongst, you know, the their peers and with within the classroom, outside the classroom, it's great.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I had the joy of having Mr. Nicholas Britel back on the podcast, so your ears uh, must have been burning, sir. Well,
1: you were, know, uh... my joke with Nick is he's so <laughs> lovely and so talented that it gets boring talking about how lovely and talented he is. So I now just make up bad stuff about him, and was, my favorite achievement with this was they did a profile of him in the New York Times, and they actually put in that I said that he will steal small stuff from your house and he doesn't have perfect pitch. And that was actually in the article. Oh, I was so happy.
0: I love that. It's interesting because you guys have got this fantastic relationship, you know, in terms of you just complement each other's work so kind of perfectly and and beautifully. And he, you know, you get each other's creative vision, I guess, in a way. You know, he kind of complements what you're trying to do and they just work so brilliant together. What point with this story did you start to think about, sort of how it would sound, both in terms of the ask of Nicholas, but then also because of with the um, the use of needle drops and things like that, which is you know something that you do brilliantly and have done brilliantly in the past, but with this specifically that combination of his score, the original songs that were written for the film, and then those needle drops.
1: So that th- this movie of. Everything we've done, I I think one of the reasons that Nick is so brilliant is because he's not just an amazing composer and musician. I don't know if you know, but he's also a top level financial mind. He used to co-run one of the biggest hedge funds in uh, New York City. Wow, I did not know that. (laughs) He's got this ability to look at the world in a very naked way, in a very sort of just, it is as it is, without ideology or anything. And one of the reasons he and I have really hit it off is that we're always talking about that subject. Where are we really in the world versus where do we think we are? Where is the media telling us where we are? Where do Mm. we want to be? And so that started with The Big Short and continued through Vice. But with this movie, this was the hardest tonal challenge we've ever had. I kept laughing with Nicholas. I would tell him, you know, hey, I threw uh, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World and Lars von Trier's, you know, Melancholia in a saucepan make it blend (laughs) like (laughs) make that sauce come together and so it, it was really but the great thing about nicola he loves to work he loves to collaborate and the breakthrough for the entire movie was one day we were just talking about how it's kind of a ludicrous farcical comedy but then it's also quite dark with real shadowy tones to it And he said, you know, I keep thinking about the big band music uh, around World War II. And he said, I keep thinking about those soldiers listening to a band and dancing like maniacs before they have to go off to combat. The feeling that a lot of them must have had of I'm going to die in two days. And he's like, let me try something. And then he came back with that piece of music that's over the main titles. And I just said, you, you got it. it it's like Nina Rota on the Hindenburg. Like it's, you know, it's, I'm trying to even think of a comparison. It's, it, it is it's like, you know, uh, Stan Kenton, uh, on the Lusitania. Like it's just this got this careening kind of doomsday, frolicking, wild, crazed kind of quality to it that was just amazing. That was like, Nick, you cracked it. That's the beating heart of the movie. Um, He's just so tireless. He just keeps going after it.
0: like he he kind of regenerates almost with every with every project I mean that is a big compliment in terms of there are a lot of composers who you can kind of hear them hear their sound hear their their thing that they do and stuff And with Nicholas it is not the case it feels like with every project he's just having so much fun with it and he's really exploring he's really determined to find that kind of heart and kind of sort of central point of what the whole you know the bigger picture of the project is
1: you know it's funny we're doing a show right now for hbo about the legendary basketball team the showtime lakers in the 80s and nick is collaborating with robert glasper on the score it's like i've never heard Hmm. nick do a score like this ever it's incredible. And obviously Robert Glasper is a genius. Um, and the two of them, the score they're doing for the show, I was like, guys, it's <laughs> at a certain point, you know, I, I directed the pilot, but I'm a producer. At a certain point as a producer, when you keep telling people what they're doing is brilliant, you start looking like you're just phoning it in. So I had to actually tell them. No, no, I'm listening to each cue and this is absolutely knocking my socks off. I mean, the music is so gorgeous and you're right. He, he crosses genres. He crosses tones. He can do hip hop. He can do soul. Obviously, classical is his wheelhouse. Anything you can imagine. He writes the best horn lines I have ever heard. Uh, I'm like Nick your quiet skill is you write the greatest horn lines I've ever heard. And uh, you know him, he's so humble. He's like, Oh, thank
0: yeah. you. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. I really hope that at some point he's able to, to play this score live because I'll be up in the aisles dancing, because like you say, it kind of really does have that kind of like, just kind of, you know, the build of it. And then when the drums kind of come in and you're just, yeah. What makes you want to kind of, yeah. Jitterbug and jive really.
1: Yeah, it's like the house is on fire. Let's dance. (laughs) That's kind of the the vibe.
0: And he said that you'd asked him to write uh, a piece for the actors to kind of play on set and stuff. Uh, the piece called the creation of, of something in knowledge. Was it I uh, I can't remember totally exactly, but yeah. But what, why was that important for you to, for, for your performers to get a sense of, of the music he was making or what it was going to sound like?
1: You know, I, I always love doing that anytime. And, and because Nicholas comes in so early in the process he he really operates almost as a producer as well. I'll give him the initial rough draft of the script. Oftentimes, I'll talk to him about the ideas that I'm kicking around. So he wrote this, you know, we talked about the shape of the movie being that you're coming from the highest peak of human achievement. Us at our most humble looking at the heavens through this telescope with just why you know eyes filled with with honest inquiry and that it's really kind of us at our best where we're looking at at the the god's creation of the world and i i asked him can you write something like that and i can play it on set for the actors so they can really feel that tone and of course like 5 days later he sends me this piece of music that just it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard. And, uh, and what was tricky for him on this movie is he really had to write that descent. He had to write Mm -hmm. them going from the top of the mountain into the crazy click ratings, bright color celebrity world. So uh, it was so fun to watch him have to deal with those changes and tonal shifts, yet all make it of a piece.
2: Yeah.
0: And even that kind of world of like bash, you know, in terms of kind of that has its own kind of sound as well. And it's even like the hold music when they're on hold for, um, for Dr. M. Oglethorpe and stuff like that. You know, there's kind of all these little bits of music that are all there, but they all, they all kind of blend and fit and say something really.
1: So Nicholas Net, has a dark, dark talent, which <laughs> he can write corporate themes and BS corporate music better than any human being on planet Earth. And I was like, Nicholas, if you weren't a decent human being, you could really be wrecking havoc with civilization because those bash themes, every time he would play them for me, I would laugh so hard. Whether it's just the little four-note jingle or whether it's the full theme music or when they do the presentation of how they're going to mine the comet, that, that actually, that particular piece of music is so grotesque and so like almost pornographic and yet at the same time beautiful, which describes our culture that we're (laughs) in.
0: The Daily Rip theme tune as well is just like it's just it's <laughs> so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it totally. I mean, there would be news shows that would give their eye <laughs> tooth to let like have that be their uh, their theme.
0: How did you? How did you get um, Kid Cudi and Ariana involved? This was just a case of sending them a script, or you know, did you write specifically with them in mind, or how did that work as well?
1: that came from uh at a certain point my casting director francine masler and i because anytime you do any of these movies or shows you're always kind of mindful of like you don't want to have too many known people you want to have like kind of your leads and then and in this mm. case it was very funny francine just came to me and she said you know i kind of think the whole point of the movie is celebrity distraction bright light she she said i don't know if i've ever said this before but i think we should let it let it rip and so i i always described to my producer kevin masik uh the character that uh ariana grande played that it was like an ariana grande kind of uber pop star and he's like let's try ariana and uh lo and behold i didn't know this Ariana Grande is cool as hell. She's like a Bernie (laughs) supporter, totally gets the big picture, great sense of humor. And then Nick suggested Kid Cudi. Nick knew Kid Cudi through some other project. And he's like, you got to get Kid Cudi. And what I didn't know is Kid Cudi's a really good actor. He's done some great stuff. So that sort of came together that way. Uh, but then it was very fun to see the three of them put that song together piece by piece i wrote sort of a—I always like to think i can write lyrics but of course i can't so uh uh, tara stinson came in who's an incredible lyricist and she ended up pulling the lyrics together and then kid Cudi brought the rap in and it was so cool to see it just come together step by step but all credit to ariana she improvised that whole run about we're all gonna die, listen to the wow. scientists. That was her just goofing around. And I was like, we're keeping that.
2: Just look
0: You really encourage improv, don't you? Because I, I heard them, um, I watched an interview with, with Jennifer and she kind of was like, I mean, she said I'm probably about 95% of the stuff you see Jonah do in the film, Adam just let him go and he just like r- riffed.
1: My approach is always like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, once you've got the scripted, which we always get the scripted, uh, you have these talented people with great instincts and... I'll always tell them like, look, you know, we've done four takes. Number three is the one that's the circle for me. If you're good, if you want to try anything else or hey, I had this idea, I'll throw it out to them and sometimes they'll change it. In the case of Jonah, he just goes. I mean, in Meryl Street yeah. too, we'll just go. But then with a lot of the other actors, we'll kind of have a back and forth. But uh, I, I, I never have understood. I, I guess it depends on the style. Of storytelling, but for what I do, I, I just love to have the actors jump in. It also makes the acting better too when they're doing the scripted lines uh, because yeah. they don't feel like they're operating in a tight space. They know they have a certain degree of freedom.
0: I love how the more you watch the film, you more the more you kind of take away from it, and the more you kind of peel back things and find things and see more things. It's kind of like a bit of a treasure hunt, to be honest. I love that about it. Is that kind of how you like to? Kind of present projects in a
1: way to us well especially with this movie you know which is about kind of the overwhelming feeling of being alive right now so you know hank corwin and i worked really hard on this sense of overwhelm that you're being hit with social media and clips and there's stories under stories under stories which you know it's kind of day to day life now so i i i think most of the stuff we do is pretty dense but with this movie it was you know on purpose built to be kind of <laughs> anxiety producing and overwhelming
0: <laughs> it's so it's it's a it's a bloody treat to get to do that with it what about the needle drops i love that you've got um muramasa and slow Tie in there as well doorman that's a great song what how, how do you come to your choices of Needle Drops, because, you know, you've got from that to Dave Lee Roth, just like Paradise and stuff and everything kind of in between. So, yeah. How do you make those decisions?
1: You know, it's there. There are songs that I just sort of been listening to for the past two or three years. And and for about 5 months, I was obsessed with that video, just like living in paradise, David Lee Roth. Uh, I, I used to joke that if I had to explain modern civilization to someone a 1000 years from now, I would show them that video. <laughs> just hit me how has like how has no like right wing politician use that as their theme song and we just dropped it in and it was perfect and in the case of Bernadette oh, oh my god i love that song that was uh, Hank Corwin my editor has great taste in music so when he's doing the rough assembly he's sort of dropping things in and when i saw them cooking dinner and the song bernadette was playing i was like hank I think you picked the perfect song. (laughs) That would be the song I would want to listen to if a comet was about to hit Earth. Great taste in music, uh, and then uh, Gabe Hilfer, our music supervisor, is amazing. And then you know how it is—we have friends who are musicians, so yeah, we needed a song at one point. I have a friend, uh, Kevin Hatcher, who works out of Austin. He's in a band called English Teeth, and I'm just like, Kevin, can you send me a track? And um, nice. And I, I've done that for years, where mm. it's just. Uh, You know, whether it's Wayne Kramer sending me the song for the end of Talladega Nights or Lucinda Williams doing a song for Talladega Nights through my late great music supervisor, Hal Wilner. You Know half the fun of this is just getting the tap into the music community. John Bryan bringing in, um, what's his name? The drummer from Deerhoof. Oh, oh, he's so brilliant for stepbrother. Uh, uh, yeah, for uh, yeah. stepbrothers, and uh, and you know, me just mentioning someone I love and Wayne Kramer going, well, I could call Tom Morello, and he just comes in and uh, I mean, it's one of the great joys of getting to do this. Uh, the craziest one in this movie was, I had this incredible needle drop for the end of the world when you go and you see the planet with all the detritus around it. Mm-hmm. And I was using uh, a kink song uh, called Time.
3: Time has changed, time will heal
1: Time will mend In the end,
3: everything will be fine And if we concentrate Time will heal all the hate All in good time We go on, drifting on Dreaming dreams, telling lies Generally wasting our time It's too late, time has come and can't wait, there's no more time.
1: Perfect. It was just everyone who saw it was like, "Oh my God, perfect song," and I was with uh, Britell in the edit room.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, "Nick, I love that song, but can you imagine uh, if Bonavair did a song there?" And, and Nick's so funny because Nick knows everyone, and he I'll goes, call him. <laughs> "He goes, I know Justin." <laughs> And I was like, Justin, and he's like, yeah, that's Bon Iver. It's Justin. And literally right in front of me, he just texted him. And then three minutes later, he's like, he's in. And, Amazing. Uh, it was crazy. It was so obnoxiously cool. And uh, and then the two of them got together and Nick had an incredible melody line. And Justin is I got to go by the recording studio over at Conway. Uh, off of uh Melrose. Oh my god. And I think it was one day they they created that song. It just blew up Second me
0: Nature, way. wow, that's amazing.
3: Is this our first? Or second nature? There Will there be merch? Where is mother? She was a stunner. Can we picture? What might I succeed? Could really take the purse? Are we charged down Or are we fakers? To raid around a game Or just as young? See you next time
1: who
0: chose the wu-tang clan for Jennifer saying to be a was that her choice or your choice
1: that was my choice I am an old hip-hop head from the <laughs> 80's and 90's I used to have a Gemini mixer I would go to fresh Fest. I love hip-hop so part of the joke of, of that is that it's the highest level of human potential it's science it's inquiry it's math and it's Wu-Tang Clan. And so, you know, it's not Bach, it's not Brahms, it's Wu-Tang Clan. So um, poor Jennifer was mortified that I had to have her rap uh, Wu-Tang Clan. She's like, please don't make me do this. I'm going to look like such a dorky white girl. And I was like, no, no, Jen, just do it under your breath. You're not going to do the full performance. But yeah, I think anytime you're talking about the peak of human achievement, you've got the Wu has to come up.
4: Yeah. Tiger style. Tiger Tiger style. style. Yo. Huh. Huh. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't the fuck with Wu-Tang, there ain't nothing to fuck yeah, with, there's no face to hide, I'm uh-huh. side, step inside uh-huh. the room, Dr. Gold, prepare for the boom, bam, ah, man, ah, oh, oh, slam, damn, I'll like. be tossing and forcing, my style is awesome, I'm causing more family food than Richard Dawson, and the survey said, you're, you're
0: With music, do you have music around do you? create playlists at all when you're when you're writing?
1: Always, always. Mm-hmm. A very important part of writing is choosing what music I'm gonna to listen to when I'm writing the script and And it's funny because you would think it would be very obvious. You would think if it's you know a movie about the deep south, I'm gonna to listen to Southern music, but it's not. Mm-hmm. it for some reason with this movie. I ended up listening to a lot of uh, Sturgill Simpson. I, I don't know why he popped up, but uh, and Sturgill Simpson and his whole kind of scene of musicians, I kind of started with him and I just, so everything I was listening to was all kind of based around that world. But um yeah, you wow. never know. I mean, the big short, it was Philip Glass, Vice. It was some Mahler. But then it was also, for some reason, Leonard Cohen, which I don't know how that happened. But yeah, you never know what it's going to be. But the music that I play is like really important when you're writing. And I'll actually spend a day or two really looking for the right music.
0: I am. I had an earworm all day just knowing I was coming to chat to you, which slightly predictably was um, Afternoon Delight, um, which just kind of wouldn't will not leave my head um, <laughs> in kind of, and I was just, I was so conscious about waiting to chat to you, of not singing it in case you were there and you could hear me, but it's just like, it's that weird thing where you, you can have this kind of weird, you've uncontrollable sort of thing where music just pops in for some reason, shape or form, like you were just saying there about some of the stuff that you've listened to for, for all your, your kind of projects. What do you remember about that? i command process with the music for that because there were some you know it was a big part of that film those choices and those oh, those moments and yeah you know so hollow notes and yeah the isley brothers and all that yeah
1: so i remember two things about it number one we weren't supposed to do afternoon delight paul rudd had a joke he's like when we do the publicity for this movie we should learn Afternoon Delight. And I said, Paul, we got to do it in the movie. And so we had a producer, and I was like, okay, get them a music coach. I want them to learn how to do it. We're gonna do it in this scene. Doesn't work, doesn't work. It's fine. Uh, if it works, great, because we're doing the scene no matter what. So the day <laughs> the day we were shooting the scene. I said, guys, all right, Afternoon Delight and Farrell, and Farrell always is game. He'll just, he'll try anything. So this was rare, he was like, what do you mean? And I go, well, you guys were working with the music coach, right? And he's like, no, we did one hour long meeting (laughs) and we haven't done anything else. I was like, are you serious? And the producer was there and I was like, I'm sorry. I tried it, I was like, ah, crap. I go, Farrell, I think this could really be amazing. He's like, we don't know it. And like, once again, he never says that. And I go, all right, here's the good news. If you screw it up, we can fix it in post. We can just lip sync it. You guys know the words. And they are all like, yeah, yeah, we know the words. There's not a lot of words. <laughs> and I go, let's just do it. And they're all pretty good musicians. They can all really kind of sing. And what you see in the movie is their first take, and it's the production track, and we never fix anything. And after oh. the take, I was like, Farrell, screw you, dude. That was amazing. <laughs> He's like, that was better than I thought it was going to be. So that ended up being in, in the movie.
4: Thinking of you's working up my appetite. Looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Rubbing sticks and stones together, make making sparks ignite. And the thought of loving you is getting so exciting. Sky, Sky rockets, rockets in flight. Boom. Afternoon delight.
3: You
1: guys have it, I think. Huh. And the other really fun thing about that movie was, I mean, you know, the king of the needle drops is Scorsese. And so Scorsese kind of with that moment in Mean Streets, where De Niro walks in with Jumpin' Jack Flash playing. It's the first time you see the slow-mo Scorsese. Mm -hmm. It's like a seminal moment in film (laughs) history. And so Scorsese did it for years, and then we all, everyone copied him. So by the time we were doing Anchorman, the well of 70s music was dry. Like (laughs) every song had been plucked. So the entire time I was shooting that movie, I was constantly listening listening to songs to see if any of them had any apple left on the core. Was there anything I wasn't sick of hearing? And then like once a week, I would get one. So I would go to uh, Farrell and I would go, have you heard this Jonathan Edwards song? You know, it'd be a sunshine go away. And he'd be like, oh, that's good. i will be like, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of this.
4: Sunshine go away today. I don't feel much like dancing. Some man's gone. He's tried to run my life. He don't know what he's asking. When he tells me I better get in line. I can't hear what he's saying. How does it cost? I'll buy it. The time is all we've lost. I'll try it. And he can't even run his own life. I'll be damned if you run mine. Sunshine, sunshine, go away today. I don't feel much like dancing. Some man's gone, he's tried to run mine.
1: So the whole time we were filming the movie, I was just finding song after song and it was really hard. But then I had the greatest secret weapon ever, which was Hal Wilner, who's just he knows the stuff that's four layers deeper. So he was pulling out like one of a kind records. With like these incredible trumpet lines and then alex worman our composer he was giving him to him and uh so i uh, of, of all the movies i've done as far as needle drops go that that's probably the most enjoyable
0: wow um jazz flute will always be one of my favorite scenes ever oh. in a film and yeah it's funny you talking about will giving it hundred percent i've got my um we're going to need more cowbell t-shirt actually that i bought after just (laughs) watching that scene from Saturday Night Live like on repeat like so many times, so many times.
1: I was there Um, six years and I think that is the single funniest sketch in the time I was there. By the way, all credit to Farrell. People always think I wrote it with him. I didn't. 100% him, solo, four in the morning on a Tuesday night, Tuesday or Wednesday morning. He just came out with this weird sketch. And I was like, "Farrell, that's the funniest sketch I've ever heard." Yeah,
0: wow, that's amazing. I wanted to ask just quickly before we run out of time, as well, back to to Nicholas and his exceptional work on Succession, as well, because you're an exec producer on that as well. And I wanted to, I want, I wondered if you were the reason that he was originally involved in that because that theme tune, you know, in terms of talking about getting to the core of character, narrative, you know, all that kind of thing, that theme tune is just—it's iconic. It's just. It's like something otherworldly almost in a way.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I always joke whenever <laughs> you're producing or directing a pilot, you get to do things that make you look really good that actually <laughs> are incredibly easy, which is, hey, let's call Nicholas Bretel. <laughs> so <laughs> with Jesse Armstrong, he, you know, he had this brilliant script and we were kicking around ideas and I was like, Hey let's call Nicholas Bertel. And so it was the coolest thing. He and Jesse hung out, I think for just two hours. Mm. And Nick recorded this super mangy scratch track just off his acoustic piano. Mm. And that was it. That was the theme song. And we even cut it into the pilot, the mangy scratch track. And it was so damn good. That there was even a moment where I was like, Nick, maybe just use the scratch track. And Nick was like, No, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he went and he did, like, you know, his wife, Caitlin is an incredible, yeah, world-class celloist. So she does one of the main lines in that, Caitlin Sullivan. And then he added all the strings and it was like i'm a moron it's a thousand (laughs) times better with all of that but that was a show he and i just immediately knew what we wanted to do with that we knew how to play it uh we knew you know i knew how to shoot it we knew how to cast it it was one of those and it's a testament to jesse armstrong and that his writing was so sharp and crisp that you just, the second you read it, you knew what it would be. And, mm. and Nick had the same response musically.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty special. And listen, I'm moving out of time. It's been such a treat to get to chat to you. And congratulations on, on Don't Look Up. And, and I really wish you all the success with the, uh, you know, with the award season and things like that. And just thank you as well for making something that really was a fascinating experience and conversation to have with my 13 year old. So thank you, sir. if you needed telling that's the succession title theme by Nicholas Patel rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Adam McKay my huge thanks to Adam for taking the time to talk to us Don't Look Up is available to watch on Netflix watch it it's brilliant and we wish him all the best for it at the BAFTAs where it is nominated in four major categories and the forthcoming Oscars and all the other award ceremonies you can link to a Spotify playlist for the show via edithbowman.com which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes of the podcast, including my chats with the wonderful Nicholas Bratel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, as the top-notch guests come thick and fast, it is none other than rock god himself, Mr Dave Grohl. What a laugh. He is such good company. I very much look forward the pleasure of your company then.